Welcome inside the Yellow Studio. It's a new episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. I wrote these words a long time ago. It was somewhere, kind of, sort of, the beginning of this podcast. Extraneous details kill attention. Greetings and welcome inside the Ellis Studio. I'm glad that you clicked play. And by the end of this, I hope you'll be glad too. You're standing around. Somebody starts to tell you a story. And they grope for the name of a person. And even if they had the name of that person, you wouldn't know who it was. And you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, it, it doesn't matter. Just keep on going. And if it's a close friend, you might even say that. But if it's not, you're just going to endure it. Okay, no, you're not going to endure it. You're gonna, you're gonna shut, you're gonna shut down. You're gonna stop listening. You just, you don't care anymore. It's like th- this detail that the storyteller thinks is important. It's so not important. It doesn't matter one way or the other. It doesn't matter if it's John or Bob or Sally or Alice. It just doesn't matter. But the storyteller, for some reason, derails their whole vibe, their whole flow of telling the story because this person that they're trying to remember the name of, they can't. And we've all done it. And it was that kind of a thought that drove me to write into a small field notes notebook, extraneous details kill attention. Uh, A more blunt way to say it is just too many details, unnecessary details. It just kills a story. Just absolutely kills a story. You got people in your life that they love to tell stories, and the stories that they tell, they just they fill it with so many details that are completely extraneous, completely unnecessary to the story, but it's just how they go about telling the story. Now, I'm fixated on this for a number of reasons. I've always been fixated on stories. It's, it's largely what got this whole thing going here at Leaning Toward Wisdom. But I'm also a student. Now, I don't claim to be a great storyteller. But one of the reasons that this is on my mind as I hit the record button is just recently one of the four giants in my life, one of the old men, the other three had already passed. He was the last man standing, and he was a he was an exceptional storyteller. Uh, number one, he was he was tremendously entertaining, and he was a master at not at not giving you just unnecessary details. I don't ever remember sitting listening to him tell a story, and it being laborious. But so many of us. Uh, that want to tell stories, it, it's just, it's laborious. It seems laborious for the person telling it, and it's really laborious for us who are trying to listen to it. Maybe that's how you feel about me in this podcast, for all I know. Well, I doubt it, because you you wouldn't be clicking play. 
I'm working, and I, I would say in the last, and this really manifested itself mostly in preaching at church, in trying to be, especially in the last five years or so, to be more succinct, to be more precise, to be more engaging. And they all, for me, they all kind of go together. As a student of storytelling, they just go together. I'm not saying that there can't be compelling stories that are long, but most of them aren't. Most of them are fairly short. People get to the point pretty quickly, and it makes a big impact on our lives. And it's been proven we remember them. You can sit up and you can regurgitate a whole bunch of facts and figures and things and yeah, yeah, yeah. And our eyes roll up in the back of our head. We don't pay attention. It's We don't care. But if you tell us a compelling story, and you can give it to us in a minute, two minutes, three minutes, and we're going to remember that. And if it's a really good story, we're likely going to repeat it. I mean, there are so many things that I have repeated so many times. It's, uh, who knows? Impossible to count. But that's what we do with great stories and it's why legacy is a big deal. It's why passing things on is a big deal. There are stories that many of us are telling that were somebody else's story, but we've repeated it. And when it was told to us, it was told about some people that maybe we didn't know personally. Maybe we had heard of them. Maybe we hadn't. And I'm talking about family kind of things. And just some little entertaining story, and you catch yourself telling it. I, I'm thinking of so, so many stories. I'll give you a for instance. So the gentleman who passed away, who was the last man standing for me as far as old men mentors, a story was told to me all of my life about him as a little boy. His father was a preacher. He himself grew up and became a preacher. But there were stories that were told to me when I was just a kid about this man who passed away when he was just a kid. And the story was told to me and it was just it was just super funny. And the story basically goes like this. His father was holding a gospel meeting in some remote part of the country, and the man of the house was not a Christian. And he used some salty language. And the preacher's young son, the old man who was my last man standing, his son would hang out with this man in the workshop during the day. They would go to church in the evening. Evening came around, and his parents, being the polite guest of these people, they were staying in these people's home was urging their young son to take a biscuit, take a roll, some piece of bread. And he didn't want it. And they continued to press upon him. Here, you know, Don, take, take one, take one. And he utters from the table, butter the blankety blank, and I'll eat it. Well, I had heard that, and we just chuckled, and we just had laughed maniacally since I was a kid. And it had become a punchline for us. 
And the punchline for us was just butter it. And we were always referring to this story that we had grown up hearing about this man who was the adult in our life and an adult in our life who later became a really vital old older man in my life. And I sat down with Don on number numerous occasions and made him retell the story because the way that I had heard it, there were a few details, namely the blankety blank. I wasn't real sure what the blankety blank was, but Don filled me in on it. No, I won't. I I'll spare you that. <laughs> I'll spare you that detail. He's not here to defend himself, so he's passed over, as they say. So, But that story, I've heard that story all my life. I clearly did not know this man when he was a little boy because I wasn't even born yet. But I grew up hearing that story, and so many of us repeated that story, and so many of us have used that as a punchline. Butter it. It's as succinct as that. Butter it. Butter the blankety blank, and I'll eat it. Well, of course, you can imagine his father being the gospel preacher sitting at the table was just absolutely aghast. Here they are, home uh, visitors in this couple's home, and the old man he pipes up and he says, he says to the preacher, I, "I'm I'm sorry, preacher. That's that's completely my fault." He's been hanging around me, and he's he's heard me use some of that kind of language, and I'm sorry for it. Funny, succinct. Are the people's names important? No. Is it important where they lived? No. Uh, is it important to know well, what what kind of workshop did he have? What what was he doing out there? And what was my mentor Don? What what was what was happening all day? None of that matters. All of that is extraneous details. But you and I both know people. That's where their head goes. They want to fill. They want to fill the story with as many of those kinds of details as they can. I, I'm. I've long been intrigued, wondering what the thought process is there. And sometimes I think people believe that. Well, the details. They do matter when you and I both know they don't. Or maybe they believe that those details can more vividly paint a picture. Who was the novelist? I'm thinking of James Mishner. I'm, I'm certain I'm thinking of James Mishner. James Mishner was this novelist, a very successful novelist, but I couldn't, I couldn't read anything the man wrote. Sorry, I just couldn't. I mean, this man could, he could write 100 pages describing a mountain range. I also wrote down in a notebook somewhere, I don't have it right here in front of me, why say it in 10 words when you can use a thousand? <laughs> you know people like this? Yeah, me too. Wait a minute. You mean I could say something in 10 words? Well, I don't want to say it in 10 words. I would rather use a thousand words. And some people, they would rather use 10,000 words. James Mishner was the kind of guy, he would rather use 10,000 words and just go on and on and on and on. It was just, I found it just laborious reading. Now, he was successful, so clearly, uh, I, I know for a fact I'm not the only one, but there were people evidently who who either muddled through all that or they just flipped the pages so they they could 
get on to the good good parts of the story. Extraneous details kill attention. I wrote that down in the context of this podcast and wanting to get better. And I guess the subject today really is about exercising some wisdom and communication. For me, I'm going to make it a bit more specific and make the communication storytelling because so much of our communication is telling stories. We're sharing things that, well, Rhonda comes in the door. Okay, how was your day? She asked me how my day was. You know, what did you do? We're, we're looking for stories. We, we want to hear a story. I want to hear a story of what did you do today? I mean, when you've been married as long as we have, it, it, gets, it gets to the point, well, what did you have for lunch today? <laughs> Listen, we get up in the morning. Do you do this? Are, are you old and have you been married for a long time? Well, How'd you sleep or did you sleep? That's really, we don't even ask anymore. How did you sleep? We just ask if you did. (laughs) She still asks me. She'll ask me every morning, even though she knows the answer is not so much. (laughs) It's always been not so much, but we're asking these questions of one another because, well, I guess we would probably just kill over and die on the spot if we actually did tell a story to one another, but I think that's what we're looking for. We're really, we're looking for a story. Tell me a story. And we're not looking for just any story. I'm looking for a good story. Tell me a good story. I mean, if Rhonda came in, if she came in this evening and she said that, uh, she ate a plate of crab legs, (laughs) I'd, yeah, I, that'd get my, I've got to know more. Please tell me more. Because it's probably going to be a salad. She's probably going to look at me. I know what she would do today if I were to ask her that today. She'd think I'd lost my mind because I saw what she took. And she'd say, I ate a, I ate a piece of chicken and some pasta. You saw me. You saw me put it in a sack and take it with me. Have you lost your mind? Mm-hmm. We're looking for stories. Tell me a good story. So it begs the question, well, what is a good story? And I don't mean all the specifics of storytelling. We're not going to get into the craft of of telling stories. I'm really getting into, into one aspect of things that one thing that absolutely in my judgment completely destroys our ability to be engaging and to keep people interested so that they'll even hear our story. Well, you know, I was going down this road, and and it was uh, it was Northwest Lucas Highway, and I was in about the four thousand block of it, and and you know, down there, you know where the Shell station is. <laughs> I've listen. I've got I've got more people in my life that do that than not. Well, that's a sad confession, isn't it? And so I guess this is on my mind because. I'm just not surrounded by great storytellers, but you know what? You're not either. There are not a bunch of great storytellers and the really great storytellers just stand out because they don't do that. They, they don't even name the highway. They may just say, you know, I was going down the road as opposed to I was on the 4,000 block of Northwest Lucas highway or whatever it was. I said, who cares? Nobody cares. It, what does that matter? 
Not to mention the fact that then there's going to be a whole bunch of people that they don't even know what highway you're talking about. By the way, that's a fictitious highway because I don't even know what highway that is. <laughs> and even if I did know what highway it was, 4,000 block, I, how, unless I live on that, how, would I, how could I possibly know where the 4,000? And is that pertinent? Because here's what we're doing as listeners. We're thinking, oh, okay, Northwest, uh, you know, fourth, wait, 4,000 was Shell Station. You know, because we're thinking that these things that we're being told, okay, well, unless it's somebody that we're accustomed to, which for me is about 99.9% of the people that do this, because I just, I know how they roll. And you just sit back and you're just bored out of your skull. But if it's not somebody that you're real familiar with, you're, you're trying to connect some dots. You're thinking, well, hey, okay, 4,000 block, let's see. Because this is going to come back around, right? I mean, this is, this is going to be, in, I'm assuming this is going to have some pertinence to the story. And then 30 minutes later, you get to the end of the story and you realize that didn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> what it did is it made a five-minute story a 30-minute story. And I, I was out by the time we got to the three-minute mark, if not before. I used to try to help young men, especially young men who were teaching, doing public teaching, preaching at church. And I learned it from, I learned it from speech coaches and, I don't know, books. And I, I just, I've studied the craft. I know you would think I would be way better. For somebody that has studied it as much as me, I, I should... I should be way more masterful with it, but it's a talent limitation. It's pure and simple. It's just a lack of talent. And a lack of talent is really hard to overcome. I'm trying. It could be argued I don't try hard enough, but there's that. What I learned from these experts is that the minute you get up and you stand in front of people or the minute you start to tell your tale or give your presentation or speech or sermon or whatever it is, right then, right there, in those first seconds, that is the height, height of attention. The audience, they are at their peak attention level right there. The minute you start, the minute you open your mouth, that's where you've got most the most attention, and it goes downhill from there. <laughs> I mean, let that sink in. So I would draw this graph on the board as I was trying to teach some younger guys right here up at the top. And I would, I would write up on an X, Y axis with the X axis being attention level and the Y axis being the length of the talk, meaning the longer it went, well, it would start up really high on the X axis and then i would just plummet the line i would plummet the line all the way down below the y-axis meaning and i would then put a dot and i would write coma i mean they go from paying attention wondering what you're going to talk about and within seconds we put them in a coma and the problem with putting our audience in a coma is we don't get them back they don't recover they go into a coma and they just never recover. They only come back to life when they're dismissed. <laughs> they only come back to life when we shut up. As podcasters, as storytellers, as creators, as 
conversationalist is that ideal (laughs) you would think that's the ideal outcome because so many people are devoted to giving as much detail as they possibly can and making just muddying up the water so much we we don't we don't have a clue what the point of the story is it's the famous Steve Martin line to John Candy in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. When you tell a story, have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the rest of us. How do you overcome these things? I don't know. Let me give you just a few things that I have putched around and written in notebooks through the years. Number one is self-awareness. You just have to know it. And so many people can't get out of the gate when it comes to that, just that one fundamental truth, because so many people just don't, they don't know it. They don't know they're terrible at telling stories. And unfortunately for you and for me, the people that want to tell the stories the most seem to be the most inept. (laughs) So they're telling stories all the time. And you're like, you know, as much as much practice as this person has had, you'd think they'd be better, but they don't have any self-awareness. They don't hear themselves. Those of us that podcast and particularly those of us that spend our life or a big portion of our life with headphones on hearing our voice, we more easily recognize our voice because we've been listening to our voice. We've heard it and we've not heard it just with our ears Without headphones, we've heard it through headphones, and that's a different sensation. It's that phenomenon of people who hear their recorded self, and they're like, well, that doesn't sound anything like me. And all the rest of us are looking at them and going, oh, that sounds exactly like you. They're not accustomed to hearing themselves that way. As podcasters, mostly we are. And so you get familiar with it, and if you've got some degree of self-awareness, you catch yourself saying things you catch yourself. We've all got these verbal crutches, you know, that's a verb. That's a really common verbal crutch. Uh, is a real common verbal crutch. People have got all kinds of verbal crutches, everything from, uh, um, you know, they just go on and on. But until you have an awareness of those, whatever they are for you, and you've got them, we've all got them. Some of us are just better at curbing those than others. You know is the one for me. And I have to be consciously aware and catch myself. And quite frequently I do. But again, it goes to the fact I have to know it. I have to recognize it first. And so recognition is the really big, big deal. And so many of us just don't recognize. We don't recognize that all all this verbosity, if that is a word, just all just overuse of language. Just I'm gonna just I'm gonna say it in a thousand words when I could be more selective and I could say it in ten. I could describe that mountain range in a sentence, or I could use a hundred pages. I'm going to be James Missioner. I'm going to use a hundred pages. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fill space here. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work in a day and age when we are 
mostly clamoring for attention. We want people's time and attention as a podcaster. It's the number one ask that I have of you. I want your time and attention. I want you to click play. And once you click play, I want you to continue to listen. Now there's a much bigger goal for me. And that is, I want you to feel something. I want you to be moved. I hope to move you to action. I hope to move you to wisdom, toward wisdom, to lean a more toward wisdom and away from your own foolishness, whatever that looks like for you. We've all got our battles. And so all the things that we talk about here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, it's all over the board. This is not so much a, a, a niche kind of a podcast in that we just talk about this particular area of technology, for instance. We, I mean, wisdom and foolishness are such broad, broad topics. We really here are just talking about life, life in general. And I think it's largely about self-awareness and recognition and responsibility and accountability. And it's not just knowing right from wrong, but it's knowing what's the best choice here. And so it's decision-making and it's, it's all of these things rolled up into one big kind of a mess that is this podcast. But for this podcast to even exist, you need to click play. And once you've clicked play, you need to prolong clicking stop or pause. And that requires me to do something as a communicator to get and keep your attention. Come on. I'm like any other podcast or any other content content creator. And that would, by the way, include anybody in the broadcast medium. That would include those folks that talk show hosts or anybody else, there may be some shows, there may be some days where, okay, you're just not feeling it. It just doesn't happen. I get it. And that's not so much your fault. That's my fault. Sometimes it's nobody's fault because sometimes maybe the topic, the subject matter is just, it just doesn't resonate. It's just not something that you're interested in. It happens. For those of us that are producing weekly shows, I've got some, I've got one podcast that we do two shows a week. Well, I'm not fooled into thinking, well, a hundred percent of the audience, our goal is for them to click play on every episode and then to listen or watch the entire episode from beginning to end. I think that's an unreasonable ask. What I don't think is an unreasonable ask is for me as a content creator to get better at crafting and telling a story that will resonate with you so I can avoid killing your attention. Cause I think we're to blame. We being the speakers, the preachers, the presenters, the podcasters, the videographer, whatever that craft is, it's our responsibility to communicate in a way that engages those people that we're attempting to communicate with. And I think we have to bear responsibility for that. I don't think that we can be on a high horse and think, well, boy, that was a great show. I sure hope they got that. And it's crickets chirping because we thought it was a great show. It wasn't a great show. 
It's one of the things that I love so much, Mr. Beast. I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTube phenomenon that is Mr. Beast. He's been around for a number of years, and he's crazy, insanely successful. I think at last count, 165 million subscribers. I mean, he's he is Mr. Beast, after all. I mean, come on. He's deserving of the name. The thing that I really appreciate about him, and he is one of the most unbalanced people that you will probably ever encounter. I don't know him, but in listening to his interviews and whatnot, this is a, a guy, he's a, he's a young guy. This is a guy who is fixated on getting better. This is a guy who is fixated on making better videos every single day. It, it is an obsession. He freely admits on camera that he doesn't have any life. That is his life. He does that. He go homes. He he goes home and he sometimes he sleeps and sometimes he he'll he'll eat a meal. But he's all in on content creation as a YouTuber, and it shows. There's no question. It shows. Now his content isn't necessarily my cup of tea. He's you know he's an entertaining. He's an entertainer guy and. There's no question that the videos are entertaining. I'm I'm slightly older than, than his demographic, so there's that. But he's completely fixated on constantly getting better and asking himself the question, how can I make my videos better? And I think that's the second of this two-pronged thing that, I kind of want to leave you with one is self-awareness recognition. And number two is the drive and the desire and the willingness to improve, to get better. And you know what? It applies to things beyond storytelling. It applies to every aspect of our life. It applies to our health. It applies to our wealth. It applies to our happiness. It applies to our spiritual life. It applies to our marriages and our relationships. It applies to everything. How well can we know ourselves? How determined are we to come into accurate grips with who and what we are? And number two, then how driven are we? How motivated are we to become better? And I'm not talking about some comparison kind of get better. For me to compare myself to Mr. Beast would be just beyond laughable I, i'm he is who he is i am who i am i it ain't gonna happen i told you before talent is the constraint for all of us he's got way more talent than i could ever hope to have so does that mean well okay in this in this game of being successful i'm just doomed no, because the game of being successful is how much better can I be? It's not whether I can be equal to Mr. Beast, which will never happen. Can I be better than my current self? Can I be better than the yesterday version of myself? And the answer to both of those things, you and I both know, is yes. And so can you. We all can. This is my optimism. My optimism is that I know that extraneous details kill attention. I know that unnecessary verbiage and just diarrhea of the mouth does not help us 
communicate with one another better. It does not make us more memorable to one another. It does nothing to help us generate a feeling, an emotion, a sensation, an urge, a drive, a desire, an inspiration in other people. And so when you boil it down at that level, for me, here's what it looks like. Colossal selfishness. Colossal selfishness. No respect for the other person's time. No respect for the other person's attention. No respect for wanting to do something in service for the person that you're communicating with, but it's all just about you holding forth. That's a recipe for losing. And unfortunately, it's the recipe that most people are cooking with. Here's the great news for me. I've got so many things that I can be working on that I need to be working on and many things that I am working on, but the list, it just continues to grow and grow and grow and it just continues to deepen. And if I weren't an optimist, it would just, well, I, I, I could just fall into deep despondency when thinking, well, What's the point? I mean, I'm hung down here in this well, and there's just, there's no possible way out of this thing. But that isn't the case. Because if I can make some improvements a little bit here and a little bit there, and slowly get better, because here's what happens with me and with you and with all of us who get out on these quests to improve, we sometimes make a breakthrough. Sometimes we create a quantum leap. No question, once we kind of get past the quantum leap, things plateau. It is the nature of the beast, and it's how it goes. But we got to press on through those plateaus and create a new one, a higher plateau. And we can do that. I don't know what you're wanting to improve right now. I hope there's something, in fact, I hope that there's a number of somethings that you really want to improve because what it means is you're accepting responsibility. It means you're accepting accountability for your own life. It means that you're not going to play the role of a victim. It means that the attention that maybe you want, the service that perhaps you want to provide, and if you're not being as effective about it, it means you're owning that. And you're saying, well, I'm going to do what I can about that. That's a super bright, bright view, I think. My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. It is modern tales of an ancient pursuit. And the pursuit will continue as long as we're alive and beyond. It has been in existence as long as mankind has been around. I hope you'll press on. Thank you, thank you, thank you for clicking play. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.